Hey everybody, this is JC here with another Sermon Extra. This one is coming after the message this past Sunday evening from 1 Peter chapter 4, 7-11, to which, uh, in which we looked at the distinguishing marks of the Christian life, namely uh, serious prayer and fervent love, and that that love is meant to be a love that is hospitable, love that is generous, and uh, love that is practical, particularly in using our gifts to serve one another by speaking God's words to one another and serving using God's strength. And I want to follow that up uh, just with a short discussion today on the idea of one-anothering in the New Testament. This is a really important concept that has great bearing for our life in the church. And I also want to have a, another application to the practice of being in small groups. So I want to start off with just acknowledging for us just how our individualistic culture influences our view of what it means to be a Christian and to be a part of the church. And it's wild in our day and would probably have been unthinkable throughout most of church history, the fact that um, many people think they can have a Christianity that's purely private and for themselves. No need to go to a church or be a member of a church. Just um, do personal worship practices at home, and that is good enough to be a Christian. And that would have been fairly unthinkable for, for most of church history. And I fear that we sometimes fall into this, and we forget what it means to be truly connected to Christ. And so we recognize the metaphor the New Testament uses often for the church is that we are connected to Christ as the head. Christ is the head. And by faith, that comes um, in repentance, and as we are converted, we come to have union with Christ, and that union with Christ can be described as the relationship of a body to a head. We gain this vital connection to Christ as our head, our king, our prophet, our priest, and we are in him, and so find favor with God. But we often forget that what's also implied in the analogy of the body is that when we are part of Christ— as our head to a body, we are then also connected to the rest of the body. Uh, like for Places like 1 Corinthians 12 and Romans 12 talk about how we are part of the body, but we are there are other parts of the body. And so that means that becoming a Christian brings you into a new relationship to Christ as your head, but also a relationship to the rest of the body of Christ. Uh, both of these relationships are gifts from the Father. And like any relationship, both of these sets of connections ought to be maintained in order to have a healthy, functioning Christian life. We know that we have a connection to Christ our head, but that actually has to be maintained in true relationship. That is, there needs to be a communication, a sharing, a communion with us and with God, especially with Christ our head. And this communication, this communion, this fellowship between the head and us is what we call worship. Worship has two parts. It's us speaking to God and God speaking to us. We call worship a dialogue. We are speaking to God is called prayer. And God speaks to us through his word. Sometimes it's his word read, his word preached his word meditated on, or his word seen in the sacraments of baptism and the Lord's Supper. 
And we recognize that sometimes Christians, although they have this relationship with the head, are not diligent to maintain it and to grow it. And so even though they might be connected to Christ, they are not actively pursuing that connection in a deep and transformative way. They don't keep up worship. But perhaps just as importantly, the relationship we've been given as Christians to the rest of the body of Christ is a relationship that also ought to be maintained and nourished and cherished and developed just as our relationship with the head. And so just as sometimes we can neglect our relationship with Christ, so too we can often neglect our relationships with one another. That is, the relationships in the body, again, are maintained and built, just like our relationship with God, through communication one with another. Something we might call fellowship, or communion, or a sharing, or community. I, if I was picking two broad terms, I'd say we maintain a relationship with God through worship, and our relationship with others through fellowship. Though the essence of both is really, simply, communication. Uh, that word fellowship is a well-known Greek word in the New Testament, koinonia, and can be variously translated as fellowship, or communication, or communion, or community, but uh, most literally it's the idea of sharing. It is something going back and forth between two. It's that connection where there's giving and receiving. And how in the church ought we then to express this fellowship? What would the practice of communication one with another, fellowshipping, communing, one with another, in true koinonia, look like? Well, I will posit that it looks like the one another commands of the New Testament. The one another commands. Uh, it's a word for reciprocality, one another. And there are in the New Testament 59 specific one another commands that Christians are called to obey in their community, in their fellowship. Of these 59 commands, 16 of them are just simply commands to love one another. That is the greatest mark of one anothering in the body of Christ, is love. Just as that's the greatest mark of our relationship with God. And, no surprise, that is the greatest commandment. To love God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength, and to love our neighbor as ourselves. And so we are to one another. That is what a body connection in the church of Christ is. That is what it is to be in fellowship. I'm just going to read a few of what these one another's are that we're called to. And I'm just going to give the words to move through these quickly. Here are some of the aspects of one anothering that we are called to have for each other in the body of Christ. Love, devotion to one another, deference to one another, like-mindedness, charity, edification, acceptance, admonishment, greeting, care, service, gentleness, cooperativeness, burden-bearing, tolerance, kindness, forgiveness, singing, mutual subjection, honor, truthfulness, forbearance, teaching, comforting, peaceableness, encouragement, exhortation, graciousness, gratefulness, confession, affection, humility. Those are 32 of the 59 one another's. Just such a high calling, such varied room for application. 
And these are things that we ought to be thinking about and focused on. And so we need to be in each other's lives. And it's really popular these days in churches to have um, a renewed emphasis on community. You know, churches everywhere are talking about, you know, we need to cultivate community, not just be an attendering church where people just come and sit in the pews and then leave. But we need to be in community. But I think often that idea of community lacks definition. People are wondering, what are we talking about when we're talking about community? Is it just that we want to be want people to be friends with each other, to hang out? Because um, often there can be a type of hanging out and spending time together that doesn't actually fulfill many of these one another's. But I think perhaps a better, more definite way to think about community is that we want a one anothering community. That should be the sort of culture we're seeking to inculcate in our churches is that of having a one anothering community. And as uh, we talked about in the message Sunday evening, one of the ways we can seek to apply this and practice the one another's that we're seeking to do at Grace Fellowship is through small groups. Not that small groups are required to practice one anothering, but it's a helpful, regular, built-in, organized way to do it. Because we all get busy, we all fail to do the things we intend, and small groups, pro small groups provide that regular access to relationship where we can one another. And as I was thinking about what we want for small groups, I just thought to highlight a few of the one another's that, that function really well in small groups. Um, and like I said, the two components of a small group are that we seek spiritual conversation and personal prayer that lead to loving community. If I was to put a formula that I thought best encapsulated what we want to do in small groups, it's that when we have the input of spiritual conversation and add to that personal prayer, the result of those two building blocks will be loving community. And so in small groups, we look at God's word together and discuss it. So that is, we follow the one another from 1 Peter 4.11, which says that we are to speak God's words to one another. And we do that by discussing the passage at hand sharing extra bits of wisdom we have or insights or questions, things that come to us. And as we do that, um, it's the word of God flowing among, among us. It's cross-pollinating as the uh, image came up Sunday night. We speak God's words to one another. And as 1 Thessalonians 5.11 says, we encourage one another and build each other up. There's mutual encouragement, mutual edification that happens as we discuss the word of God together, as we seek to apply it to our lives, sharing um, how we personally apply things with one another, as we give counsel and encouragement based on the word of God. We want um, a community where we practice spiritual conversation. But the second thing we do in small groups is personal prayer. And here we get to obey the clear command from James 5.16, where we're told to pray for one another, to pray for one another. But this practice of praying for one another also fulfills what Galatians 6.2 says in that we're called to bear one another's burdens. And prayer is one of the best ways to bear each other's burdens. And so it's essential in small groups that we share our needs with each other. One of the core values of our church is to be a place for weakness. It's a place where we're able to express the help we need from God, which also can be carried by each other. 
And so it, it reveals then where we can serve one another. It reveals how we can pray for one another. And it helps us get past that wall of um, always trying to maintain uh, a happy face to say that everything's all right. But we actually get to be one another, to cry with one another in life's pains, to rejoice with one another in life's joys, and pray to the Lord for his help, praise him for his grace. And as we grow in relationships that are built around spiritual conversation, that are built around personal prayer, the result is that it binds us together in a more loving community. Romans 12.10 calls us to be devoted to one another with mutual love. As we've discussed things of our heart, shared with one another, prayed with one another, it creates a sort of familial devotion and love, which is what we want to cultivate. And then as Galatians 5.13 says, through love, we serve one another. We talked about how a small group can be the front lines of knowing the needs in the community and being able to help. Your small group are probably going to be the first people to visit you when you're in need, to, to help you move, to be there for you when you need help. And then lastly, 1 Peter 4.9, to show hospitality to one another. Small groups are a great place to build relationships and friendships where then we can be people who are bringing each other into our homes, bringing each other into our lives, and developing friendships. And so those three things um, are helping us fulfill these commands to one another, each other, in small groups through spiritual conversation and personal prayer for loving community. So let's be people that are not only diligent to maintain our love relationship with God through the communication that comes in worship, through word and prayer, but also be people who seek to build up and grow in our relationships with the body of Christ, in fellowship, in a true one-anothering community, where we share with one another from everything God's given us, all the resources, whether those are personal resources, our, our aptitudes, our wisdom, our, our biblical knowledge, our wise counsel, or whether it's sharing our resources um, from financial resources to employment resources to family and household resources um, to have a true one anothering, sharing, fellowshipping community. Uh, that's what we ought to be striving for together. And um, if I might just add one last thought for consideration that might hit a little close to home, but I fear that at times, although we can often have a really good emphasis on loving our biological families and our households, extended families, grandparents, uncles, aunts, cousins, we often forget that we have similar obligations to our spiritual family. And our spiritual family is an everlasting heavenly family. And we do have obligations to the spiritual family. So let's not let the good um, quality time we care to spend with our biological families prevent us from also seeking to give ourselves and our time and energy to our spiritual family. So let's be people that are truly a part of the body of Christ. And um, as Ephesians 4 says, when, when, the, when the whole body is working together, there's a growth where the body builds itself up in love mutual edification, not just receiving from the leadership or the pastor, but receiving from one another the love that builds us up and leads us to the fullness even of the stature of Jesus Christ. We want to grow up to be everything God desires the church to be.